put that coffee down. Coffee is for creators only. My name is James Newcomb, and I'm inviting you to an exclusive accountability program that will help you set and achieve your creative goals. It costs nothing but your time and patience. Go to coffeeisforcreators.com to learn more. This is the story of the trumpet in the words of those who play it. Young or old, professional or amateur, you've never missed a day of practice, or maybe you're coming back to rediscover the joy you once knew playing your trumpet. For those who love and are fascinated with this crazy instrument that no one can seem to master or is foolish enough to admit it if they have, this show covers all of the trumpet dynamics. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. This is going to be a fantastic podcast for you. And um, this is a really, really good interview. I saw this fellow, Patrick Oliverio, on Facebook. And it's just one of those situations where it's like your quote, friends. So even though we hadn't really met, we were, you know, quasi-connected via social media. And he's always posting on Facebook of, of him playing and he's got this acapella app, and we're going to be talking about that in the, in the interview. And he's just posting really, really high-quality things that he's just putting together in a stairwell at whatever college that he's teaching at or performing at or wherever. And I said, man, this is, this is the kind of guy that I want to get on the show. I want to talk to this person and pick his brain and see what makes him tick. Uh, so we just had a fantastic conversation and, uh, you know, it was our first time meeting, so it always takes a minute or two to get the rapport going. Uh, but, you know, it, before too long, we just we were hitting, out, hitting it off famously, and we just had a really, really good time, and I think you're going to enjoy this. We talk about the acapella app that I've already mentioned. We talk about a little bit about trumpet pedagogy. But most importantly, we talk about the inherent superiority of the cornet over the trumpet. So again, thanks for pressing play, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with Patrick Oliverio. All right, Patrick, I want to start out this interview with your 30-second sales pitch. Assume that I am a musical ignoramus, and when it comes to the trumpet, I don't know which end of the horn to blow into. I don't know what valves are. I don't know how to string three notes together. Tell me in 30 seconds or less, what do you do? I am a musician that plays music above all. Um, I don't like to consider myself a trumpet player. Uh, I think the music comes first, trumpet comes second. I sometimes view, especially with my students, that trumpet can be the biggest uh, roadblock when it comes to making music, unfortunately. So uh, if I were to talk to someone who's completely unaware of what I do, I simply make music. I'm a musician um, and that happens to play the trumpet. Why is the trumpet a roadblock to making music? Um, it is inherently one of those instruments like the euphonium or saxophone that it is fairly easy to make a sound on and fairly easy to start playing, but incredibly difficult to sound excellent or, or uh, uh, virtuosic. There are very few in our profession that 
can say that they are trumpet soloists, which I, I was talking with Jens Lindemann last week and he said, I'm a trumpet soloist, which is, is an oxymoron. So it, the instrument itself presents some difficulties for us. Um, but those that can overcome that have become in, in, in incredible musicians. Um, I would say some of the main issues that we have with trumpet is it's, it's just a difficult instrument to sound like the human voice, unlike say the violin or the cello or piano. So the human voice is the standard that we should strive for. That's what I go for. Um, I always tell my students to sing through the instrument. Uh, Think of how a vocalist would approach this and approach it that way. Cause all the great soloists that I've, I've, I've heard on violin, viola, cello, piano, all talk about how a vocalist would approach it. Um, and I love, I love listening to uh, either opera or, or solo vocalists. It's what we strive for, what we should strive for, I should say. Is that something that you think is lacking in education? Trumpet players, saxophone players, whatever, is like that need to learn the vocal styles and mimic the human voice? I think it used to be. Um, I don't think it's very much anymore. I think that we've come actually a pretty long way when it comes to pedagogy. Um, they're, you know, going to NTC and, and seeing these young soloists perform. Uh, I mean, the level of trumpet playing just in the past decade has really taken off. And I think that's because of the pedagogy and, and how people are approaching teaching trumpet. Um, very kind of song and wind, thinking of the melody, thinking of how a vocalist would approach it. So I think we still have a ways to go, but we've certainly come a long way. Well, you seem like a pretty young guy. I, we, just, we just met uh, on Zoom here just five minutes ago. So uh, I don't know if you're like the old school or what school you fall into, but is that something that was included in your instruction as a trumpet player? Oh, most certainly. Um, I'm, I wouldn't say that I'm from the old school. I'm say, I would say I'm kind of the transition material <laughs> and I'm trying, I'm trying to adapt to this new school of teaching, which I, I love uh, the, the thinking of air, air and sound above all, uh, and really approaching it that way from a healthy playing standpoint. I think that, and I'm, and I'm not trying to be any controversial statement, make a controversial statement or anything like that. But I think that the old school method can sometimes be a little bit muscly and, and not thinking of the longevity of playing. So yeah, I think I would, I would come from more than new school of, of just thinking of sound and air and seeing what we can do with that. So let's talk about air and sound. And you said you made a distinction of healthy air and sound. Is there an unhealthy use of air and sound? Um, I do think that with a lot of, I mean, I teach a fair number of high school students here in the Kansas City Metro and I've taught, I've been teaching high school for a while. And what the, the tendency that I see from the majority of band directors is just saying, use more air, which can help, but can also be a detriment to a student if they don't know what to do with that amount of air or what to do with the air. Because when we're talking about, you know, when they're saying use more air, good to get into the upper register. Well, I mean, you, you ish, you should use fast air, but can you, can you explain to a student how to get there, how to get the air to speed up and to get that velocity of air? So I, I think that it's a double-edged sword. Using more air is great, but it can also be a detriment to a student. Using more air and then knowing what to do with it. Precisely. <laughs> 
Is there a time where, where a trumpet player needs to use less air? I, I would say so. I mean, when we're using, when we're going into uh, much, much softer dynamics, we're trying to enter at it or try and do air attacks at a very, very quiet dynamic. I would say less air is, is better because you don't want to take in so much air that you're actually holding the air back. So it, how I explain it to my student is you want to use, you want the air to work with you, not against you. So if you're taking in so much air that you're having to hold it back, that's, you're going to have to hold it back with the musculature of your face or your neck, which, or, or your upper torso, which is not good. Tension breeds bad sound and sound and air are number one in my book. If, as my, one of my teachers would say, if you have all the technique and flexibility in the world, but you have a bad sound, no one wants to hear you. Who's the teacher that said that? That was uh, my undergrad teacher, Dr. Richard Ruley at University of Arkansas. Okay. I've heard variations of that. Mm-hmm. You sound- okay, I think I, I think he got that from someone else, but I don't, I don't know who. <laughs> There's nothing new under the sun. Nope. Tension breeds bad sound, air and sound. I think the analogy that I use, I think of it as if I'm going to, if I'm going to say I love you to my girlfriend, I'm not going to say, <gasps> you know, I'm going I'm to. I'm, yeah, I'm, no, I if, get it. If anything, I'm going to exhale. I love you, honey. You know what I mean? Yep. And I get and, that's a very good analogy. Well, maybe I should teach. Maybe. That's pretty good. That would connect. That would connect with a high school student. They'd get that. Assuming they have a girlfriend. Well, yeah, we are we are teaching high school trumpet players, so maybe maybe not so much. I mean it's better than high school tuba players. Growing up in in you know high school band, middle school, high school band, I, I'm so thankful for for the upbringing that I had in that kind of family. Um not to kind of transition too quickly, but you know, that's what I've kind of found with the, the brass band culture. Um, brass band culture, British brass band culture is really about uh, um, a family and a community. And that's, that's why we do it. You know, the, the group that I play in Fountain City Brass Band, none of us are paid. We are all a completely volunteer group, yet we have people coming all the way from, you know, Washington State, you know, Louisiana, Washington, D.C., um, Australia. So, I mean, these people are not paid. They just come for the community and the music making. Not even their uh, travel expenses? Nope. Wow. Not at all. So it's the community. It's not like the prestige of being in one of the top bands in America or? I mean, prestige, prestige is certainly nice, but I mean, prestige does not pay bills. So there has to be another reason why we do it. And, and it's really about the family. I mean, I've been playing, me and my wife, Jen, have been playing in the group since 2013. Um, and regardless of where we go in the world, we're always going to come back to, to the family that we found here, no matter what we're doing. How many, like how busy is the band? Um, we usually have, so coming up, um, it'll actually be after this, this podcast airs, but mm-hmm. we have the, the U.S. Open Brass Band Championship, which is coming up in two weeks. Um, that, so that's one, our, usually our first cycle that we do. The next cycle is usually our holiday concert where we do number of Christmas concerts across the Casey Metro and actually out into rural Kansas and Missouri. Um, then we begin our NABA, North American Brass Band Association Championship Preparations. Um, then that, then we also usually have an end of season concert um, and in between, we usually we sometimes have a couple of concerts that um, 
organizations will reach out and they want someone to play. So we, we go out and play. Um, but we also do have a, 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 the Fountain City Youth Academy, which goes from January all the way through to May, I believe. Uh, that's a big part of us as well. First place, graduate solo division, national trumpet competition. Tell us about that. How did that come about? Uh, that was that was something. So I, um, it, before that, I would really only done one other competition, which was the Music Teachers MTNA competition, Music Teachers National Association solo competition. So I re- really didn't have any competition experience before that. Um, and I took a break in between my undergraduate and my master's. I went to the University of Missouri, Kansas City for my master's where my wife did her doctorate. And she had done uh, N- uh, NTC before and play second. So I was like, well, let's, let's give it a try and see what happens. If you don't know, my wife, Jen Fox Oliverio, is a spectacular trumpet player and cornetist. But I decided to, to give it a try. Um, and... I just approached it how I would really any audition or um, I guess competition performance uh, really methodical went in and just thought about the music. I was very fortunate to make finals, which I was kind of shocked um, and then had a really good performance in finals. And I, I then called my teacher, uh, Keith Benjamin and asked him, it's like, so how did the other people sound? Because I, I didn't listen. I, I stood outside and kind of just was decompressing after the performance. And he was like, well, you should be really happy with third place. And I was like, awesome. That's great. <laughs> um, uh, and was very shocked when I actually placed first, which was pretty cool. Um, I played the, the Tambrook Trumpet Concerto Movement One, which is a, if you haven't heard it, it's a beautiful piece of music. Um, for trumpet. I'm sorry, Tamberg? How do you spell that? Tamberg, T-A-M-B-E-R-G. Eno, E-I-N-O, Tamberg. Um, uh, the first recording I he- ever heard of it was of uh, Hakan Hardenberger, and it was exceptional, as to be expected. Um, and I was I fell in love with the piece. Uh, I then, after I performed at NTC, performed it on my senior recital at UMKC, absolutely love it i still it's still a part of my repertoire anytime i get a chance to maybe apply to a concerto aria competition or maybe even try to play it with a symphony i will jump at the chance so it was it was kind of i don't, I don't want to say it was sheer luck but it was it was kind of sheer sheer luck right that i that i walked away um with first place so i i like to kind of deconstruct i like to hear the stories of the night before the morning of a big performance like this because you're thinking it's like you're just focused, laser focused on this Tamburg uh, concerto. I, I, can you just maybe, because this is still pretty recent, can you just walk us through your preparation the night before? What did you do? How important was it to get sleep? Uh, what did you eat the morning of? What, was, what did that look like? After I found out I was in finals, that's kind of when really the heat was on for me mentally. Um, I decided that I would get as much sleep as I humanly could. Um, I was very fortunate to be put really late in the day. So I slept for 10 plus hours. I made myself sleep. And then when I woke up, I did not drink my normal, you know, two or three cups of coffee. I, I drank one cup of decaf. I then had, you know, healthy breakfast, just eggs, oatmeal, toast, nothing 
nothing crazy. But then I specifically did other things that had nothing to do with music. I listened to music, but not trumpet music. I listened to a little bit of Mahler 2, the the Erlicht from Mahler 2. Very beautiful. Just things to calm me down to keep my heart rate low the entire day. Then when it came time for me to actually go to the venue and prepare to play, um, I am a very firm believer in meditation mm. before you perform. Um, and it doesn't have to be anything complicated. I, I, I first heard of this notion from Joe Berkstaller. And when I first heard it, I was dismissive of it. I was like, ah, that's, that's, that, that, that won't work. Okay. There has to be some tangible way to do this. That, that can't be it. But then I started actually trying it and lo and behold, it actually works. So I should probably should have listened the first time. But all I did, all I usually do when I have a high pressure situation like that is I will sit in a chair, um, relax into the chair, start focusing on my breathing in and out, um, slowly close my eyes, and then do a thing which is called a body scan, where you basically just start from your feet or the top of your head, and you notice how each body part feels you kind of see, okay, well, my feet are a little cold or they're a little sweaty. They're uncomfortable. My legs are fine. They're a little tingly. And then you just go all the way up and then go all the way back down and still focusing on the breathing. Um, I sometimes listen to music while doing that. Sometimes I don't, but I usually like to find a quiet spot and that takes me 10, 15 minutes. And afterwards, the level of clarity that I have when I open my eyes and, and start moving, it's, it's incredible. Um, it's kind of nice to be able to walk out on a stage in a high pressure situation and feel like you're in control. Um, I had not experienced that up until then. Um, and I do equate that a lot to the success that I had at NTC. I, actually, I, I equate the majority of that right. because you can prepare as much as you want if you are very, very nervous and that fight or flight reflex kicks in. There's not much you can do about it. That adrenaline is going to take over and you're you're either going to shake, you're going to make mistakes, mental mistakes, be out of the game. So the, I highly recommend meditation. We should have you back on the show and we can go more in depth on meditation if you're up for it. Oh, sure. Most certainly. I, I can go as far down the rabbit hole with that as you want. Because <laughs> right. after that, I, 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 was, um, <laughs> I was a believer. Um, okay. And every, every single audition performance, regardless of how important it is to me or, or my playing, I do it just because I, it, I enjoy performances more because I yeah. can actually be in the moment and, and feel like I can play at, you know, a hundred percent or at least close to, um, it's, it's wonderful. It really is wonderful. Yeah. It's a heck of a lot better than shaking and been there just waiting until the performance is over and you can get off the stage and criticize yourself until I have had, I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've walked off the stage almost thrown my tread against the wall, but then thrown it into the case and then just went home. Didn't talk to anyone and just went home. And that's not, I signed up to be a Trump a musician, a trumpet player, mm. uh, orchestra musician, what, what, what have you. I signed up because I enjoy music. I enjoy the act of music making. And I enjoy listening to what the audience feels and talking to the audience and talking to my colleagues. And whenever you walk off the stage angry because you feel like you didn't do your job and blah, 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 that's not why we do this. We certainly don't do it for the money. We do it for the love of music. Uh, NTC 2017 is where you like discovered the magic of meditation. 
Yes. Um, and mind you, all this is, is coupled with, I was very prepared. So I don't, I don't want maybe a young listener listening to this to go, Oh, all I've got to do is meditate. And then I can no. you, you actually have to put in the hours and, and the frustration and the, the tediousness of really dissecting a piece and knowing it front ways, backwards, upside down and being able to play it cold. Meditation helps for the performance only. Really? Not for the preparation? No. I mean, for me, I know a lot of people, uh, a lot of people and colleagues and friends of mine talk about, you know, well, perform when you practice and practice when you perform. And that, that works for them. That's fantastic. For me, practice is practice. Performing is performing. I can't make that mental jump of putting myself in, in the state of mind of where I'm performing in front of people. And yes, you can simulate that by actually performing in front of people. But when I do that, I, I meditate. So whenever I do, I had a, a, a mock run for NTC right before I left and I tried the meditation there and it worked. So I decided, well, if it worked in this situation, it's probably going to work on the day of the performance at NTC. Um, so, but you have to be, you have to be prepared. It just seems to me, and I'm not trying to put you on the spot or say you're wrong and I'm right. Everybody knows that I am right. You are a trumpet player. So yeah, you, you are correct. It's my show and I'm right. But it seems to me like if, if you're going to have that effect for the performance, uh, wouldn't meditation before you practice clear your mind and put you in a better state of mind so that you're able to be more efficient with your practice? So I guess maybe I should say that you know I do meditate, I mean, outside of performance. I try to meditate once a day. Um, so maybe that's that's for me enough that will last me the day. So I usually try to meditate at least once in the morning when I wake up. I mean, right now I have a, a two month old. Yeah. So he, <laughs> I try to wake up before he does, which is always, always Never. a fun game. Yeah. <laughs> I was lucky this morning and, and got up before he did. So I had about an hour. So I basically took 30 minutes and just did some guided meditation and I feel very clear headed, very, the clarity that you get afterwards is great. And I guarantee you, whenever I go to practice today, that, that will carry over. Um, so I guess, yes, yes, it will help. Um, I, I more think of, um, meditating as something that you should just do. I mean, even outside of practice, if you live, I mean, we all are musicians, we all are anxious people. We are riddled with anxiety and we're, burning the candle from not only, you know, both ends, but all everywhere in between. So meditation and getting uh, a certain level of calm into your day, I think is super beneficial. Is trumpet soloist a career? And we were kind of discussing that a little bit, but how would you describe you? What, what do you do? Well, what I do, I enjoy playing trumpet solos. I enjoy soloing in front of ensembles. I enjoy collaborating with pianists and other musicians. Uh, I wouldn't consider myself a career trumpet soloist. Um, I think that there are a handful of those that can claim that title. Um, I know that, uh, so I, in 2000, in the summer of 2017, I went to the, the Chosen Vale um, Center for Musical Excellence uh, it's a seminar that's done in Infield, New Hampshire by uh, Ed Carroll. Fantastic. If, if you're looking to expand your horizons on trumpet and music, it's 
absolutely stellar. And one of the guests was Hawken Hardenberger. And he spoke about one of his goals was to be considered, get the trumpet to be considered a solo instrument because we still, we're still struggling with that. Uh, we, we aren't, we aren't held to the high, to the standard of violin or cello or piano, certainly not piano. Um, but I think with his career, I mean, just recently, I believe it was 2016 or 15, he was touring with the New York Philharmonic uh, as a featured soloist. And one of the other solos was Yo-Yo Ma. So I, I think he can certainly claim that title. When it comes to normal people like myself, uh, I enjoy playing solos. Uh, I feel more comfortable in a soloist role. And I try to do so as much as I can. I love putting on recitals. Um, a career as a trumpet soloist, one can do it, but it will take a lot of work, a lot of networking, a lot of marketing. And that's all that aside, um, you have to be an exceptional trumpet player, an exceptional musician. Uh, I don't think average joe like myself can just go out and go average i'm gonna joe, be a trumpet solo average joe average joe come on average joe solo cornet I've, with the fountain city brass band you're no average joe come on man okay one tier above average joe. i don't have average joes on my podcast you understand that i can't be seen with average joes i didn't come on here to be yelled at i think that it it takes something special for someone to actually pursue that career um, certainly doing these competitions, you know, NTC, uh, International Trumpet Guild solo competition, the Roger Voizan, uh, solo competition, um, all the, the solo competitions in the UK. I mean, those are certainly, oh, the Ellsworth Smith here in the United States. Those are a good test to see if you may have what it takes. If you can maybe advance in those and maybe win those, that's a good that is a good uh, a gauge if it's a possibility. But even if you win all of those, every single solo competition, that does not mean that you will have a solo career. It takes a, it takes a certain personality, a certain presence on stage. It takes a level of marketing that some people are not comfortable with. It, it takes a lot of time and money to do. So I'm not going to, you know, walk up to a high school trumpet player that's like, I want to play trumpet for a living and say, well, you should be a trumpet soloist. There are other avenues I think one should explore. I do like saying that trumpet soloist is part of who I am. I mean, I do, I mean, you know, the majority of the, the gigs that I play are, you know, orchestral or, you know, chamber, but I think that's just a, a facet of what makes me, me trumpet soloist is, yeah, that's a, that's an interesting topic. It's kind of fresh to having, so uh, at UMKC, we just featured Jens Lindemann um, on a performance of um, John Mackey's trumpet concerto called Antique Violences, which is a insanely difficult work, um, which Jens did wonderfully with a broken arm, which I thought was pretty impressive. <laughs> um, and we were talking about, you know, trumpet solos, trumpet soloists, and he did make the comment of uh, that trumpet solos was kind of an oxymoron. Um, but he himself is one of those people that can consider himself a trumpet soloist. He is an outstanding showman, an outstanding musician, um, great, great command of the instrument, um, and has 
achieved quite a bit in his career. I don't know. I think that may have covered. Yeah. If you want a glimpse into the inner workings of my mind, go, go <laughs> into my blog. I, I usually will update once, once a week or once every other week. The one I just posted was about basically life as a musician uh, with a two-month-old, with, mm-hmm. with an infant. I mean, because we, we, we are not alone, but we are certainly part of a, a few uh, professional musicians in a household, both me and Jen are professional musicians, and we have an infant. Um, so it's, it's kind of a unique perspective on it. I know that a lot of musicians may have a, a spouse that uh, may not be a musician or may have been involved in music, uh, but I, we do have a couple of friends that are both our professional musicians, and it's kind of interesting that they we're finding that our experiences have been similar. So I thought it would be interesting to do you know, two-month checkups just to see how things have been going. So how are things going? He is the most important thing in our lives, but he is also one of the most difficult things that we've ever done in our life. Ever had to, I don't want to say deal with, but with one of the, the most difficult things that we've ever done. But we would certainly do it again, having knowing what we know now. He's just turned two months today, actually. Um, he's starting to sleep through the night, which is wonderful. Yes. Um, we actually just took him to one of our rehearsals yesterday and he is totally fine with the sound of the trumpet and he's totally okay with being in kind of a loud environment. He's not fussy. He actually likes the sound of trumpet. Jen was giving a lesson here today, yesterday, and he fell asleep in the middle of a lesson, which I thought was pretty cool, but, um, it's going really well. Very, very well. Check out his website. If we haven't mentioned it enough times, it's patrickoliverio.com. One thing that I wanted to ask you is uh, you've got all this experience with brass bands here in the United States, but you said on your bio that you've been, you've had some brass band experience in actual, like the actual British brass band experience in Great Britain. Yes. Yeah, so um, Fountain City actually has taken, since I've been with the group, two tours of the UK. Um, And for those tours, we did uh, Brass in Concert twice. Uh, The first year that we went, uh, we placed second, which was pretty cool. Um, And then we also did the Scottish Open while we were there and placed third. Um, and did a whole bunch of different concerts and touring all around, um, both England and Scotland. Uh, it was fantastic to hear. I mean, cause we, we, we grow up in this tradition listening to recordings of these groups, but very rarely do we get to see them live because they very seldom come over to the States when they do, you jump at the chance if they're close. Um, but that's kind of when the stars align, when they're actually close to you. Um, so getting to hear, you know, you know, Corey Band, uh, uh, Ike Anger, Bjorsvik, uh, all these groups that we've grown up, uh, Brigas and Rastrick, all these groups that you idolize and hear them live, it's absolutely incredible. It's an experience that I will remember for the rest of my life. It's incredible. And then to, to beat some of them was also another thing that was really surreal Mm -hmm. um uh, we our our group we we try to go after that sound world the the british brass band sound world and 
I think we're, we're getting close. We're, we're doing really well, I think. Um, but it was, it was an amazing experience over in the UK. Well, they're more, they're more enthusiastic about brass bands as a, as a general rule. What's the culture like over there? It is much more a part of their, their upbringing. So um, not necessarily in, in, you know, maybe London, but once you go into, you know, Yorkshire and Wales, I mean, it's every town has a band and you grow up playing in that town band. And then if you show some sort of uh, talent for it, then you may join one of the upper level championship level groups. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool seeing, cause we actually, uh, did a concert at a place called Dobcross where it's the Dobcross brass band and they had a youth organization that played right before us. And it was really kind of cool to see, I mean, kids ranging from, I think there was some seven and eight year olds all the way up to kids that were about to go to college and some that were actually in college. Um, so they're surrounding themselves with great musicians. They're getting the experience young and they're getting that sound in their head at an early, early age. So it's, it's just become part of their, their culture. And it hasn't really taken off here yet. Um, I think the main reason is, is, you know, geographically, it's hard to go from town to town to town in one day. Whenever we, talk, we talked to um, a couple of people at Dobcross and they asked, well, well how, how, long, how long is your drive to commute to rehearsal? And they were speaking to uh, Dave Turnbull, Dr. Dave Turnbull, who's the professor at Washington State University. And he goes, well, I have about a two, two time, sometimes three day drive. It's about 22 hours. <laughs> and they do not understand that. They just don't understand. So I think that has a lot to do with it. Even in the United States, that's exceptional. That is, I mean, that is pretty exceptional. But even, even for us, I mean, having some people that drive in from Oklahoma, that's four or five hours. That's, that's an incredible distance for them. So it's, it's, they don't understand that. And I think that has a lot to do with, with the brass band culture here in the States, but it is, it is on the rise. It, it is kind of cool to be part of this movement, especially now with brass bands popping up everywhere. I think within the time that me and Jen have been in the group, six or seven new groups have popped up in and around Kansas City, in Oklahoma, Missouri, Kansas, Arkansas, Nebraska. So it's kind of cool. Yeah, I like to see not maybe not like a brass band, but just here in the U.S. to see the small towns that still have just a little community band of, you know, people who love playing when they were in high school and they just want to play. That's very similar to what the brass band culture is. So, I mean, not every band has to be pursuing, you know, championship level music all the time or, or trying to win all these different guys. Sometimes it's just about the community. How I got my start in brass band was in the natural state brass band, which is based in Little Rock, Arkansas. And how it happened is I lived in the city that they were at. A guy that was in the group said, Hey, you play trumpet. Have you played cornet before? I said, no. And he goes, would you like to? And the rest is history. Uh, I played with that group for four years and then took some time off then was in Fountain City. It was, and, and during that time, we never competed. We just gave concerts for our community uh, and then enjoyed the camaraderie of being in a brass band. That's where I learned the community aspect of brass band was in that group. You know, I, um, like most kids, m most American kids, I grew up with the trumpet and I really didn't have any exposure to the cornet until 
uh, probably late in life. I mean, I knew what one was, but I didn't really play one and really appreciate the difference between the cornet and the trumpet until 2010 when I played with a Georgia brass band when I was stationed in Atlanta. And um, I know a couple of things, the differences, but I, I feel like you could maybe expound a little bit better on uh, the mouthpiece cup sizes, the differences, because a, a lot of people, they see a cornet and they just think it's just kind of a miniature trumpet, which is not, but it's a very distinct history, very distinct sound. Can you tell us a little bit, like differentiate, what makes the cornet special? So uh, in, in my mind, there are two schools of cornet. Uh, there's the American style of cornet playing, and then there's the British style of cornet playing, okay. which are very different. So whenever you talk about the American style of cornet playing, you're talking about, um, you know, the John Philip Sousa uh, band or the, you know, the president's own Marine band that's still playing cornets. I would say that it's a little bit of a brighter sound, a little bit more of a present sound, um, certainly just as nimble and just as virtuosic, but the sound world is going to be different. And you look at the different instruments that they play. I mean, you're talking about people who start on trumpet that move to cornet. Um, so they're going to find an instrument that usually is a little bit easier to make that transition. Um, I know that the Bach Stradivarius cornets are very popular. Um, there's also Getzen that also makes them. But when you talk about the cornet style that I'm used to, which is the British style cornet playing, um, it is a very, very warm sound. Um, I, I have had the fortune of studying with um, Professor David King, who is one of the world's foremost experts on cornet and, and brass band um, if you want to know more about him, certainly just Google him and read up on him. He is a fantastic player and, and conductor and musician. But he talks about cornet as having a solar sound where it can, if you think about the sun, it's very bright, very, very bright, but it's also warm. So having, being able to balance the warmth of the cornet sound, but still having the brilliance and the, and the brightness in the sound. Um, and we, typically play on Besson instruments, um, Besson Sovereign, Besson Prestige. There's a couple other instruments, instrument makers that are uh, popular, such as Eclipse, York, the Yamaha Neos are trying to go after that sound, sound world. Um, and whenever you're talking about the British style cornet playing, I mean, it depends on what you're, if you're talking about solos, there's a kind of a different repertoire that you're, you're pulling from. Um, and when you're just talking about brass band section playing, that's a whole other topic as well. So it's, I think cornet playing is a just as diverse as, if not more so, than trumpet playing in the States. Um, and when you're over in the UK, you get a very, very good feel for that. It's interesting because you talk to some of the, you know, section cornet players and they have different sound concepts than, you know, the front row cornet players and they play on different equipment not necessarily different instruments, but different mouthpieces. Um, and the mouthpiece, I guess, well, if we want to go down that rabbit hole, um, we typically play on Dennis Wick, um, traditional straight, you know, straight four or a straight three uh, mouthpieces. It may not be the most comfortable mouthpiece in the world, but it gets the sound that we want and we make it work. Describe a straight four and straight three. So it is a, a deep, very deep mouthpiece um, with a fairly, fairly large throat, 
Um, and the rim size is approximately that of, um, I would say, a th- like a box 3, 3C, the rim diameter, um, but a very sharp rim. So not, not flat, but fairly, fairly sharp. Um, but if you're talking about American style cornet playing, I mean, it, it, you can run the gambit. I mean, I know a lot of people like th- whatever their maker is, get their mouthpiece for cornet. Um, Bach is a big one. Pickett is another one. Warburton is very, very popular. But for British style brass playing, a lot of people prefer the Dennis Wick, just because it's been it's been the standard for so long. This is what got me, like, got my attention to invite you on the show in the first place. Because on Facebook, you're always putting these uh, videos of you doing these, like, you're doing six versions of yourself putting something together. Tell us about the software that you use for that. I want to hear about the process of putting these things together. So actually the, the software is simply an app on my phone mm-hmm. and the app is called acapella. Okay. Um, acapella is it looks like it was designed for singers or vocalists mm-hmm. to kind of collaborate with other vocalists or to, you know, uh, multi-track themselves. Um, I, through a very long process of trial and error, figured out the best way to do it for trumpet. Um, and I, I think it was this summer actually, while I was teaching at, um, a music camp where I thought, I'm just going to try some trumpet ensemble pieces or sections of trumpet ensemble pieces and see how that works. So I thought, why not try some trumpet ensemble pieces? The only difficulty with that software is you can't change tempo. So it, there's a click track that's in your ear that gives you a four count count off and then you're off and it does all of the syncing, um, all of the video work that you see in, in the app itself. So it's pretty cool. And the reason why I did it the first time was just for fun. Just, it's kind of cool to play pieces, um, by yourself without having to, you know, corral other people to do it. But then as I was doing it at the camp, I realized, I mean, it's fairly difficult to do. <laughs> you find out, you know, your tendencies as a, as a player, not only as a principal player, but a second or third or fourth or fifth or sixth, you find your weaknesses and you're like, oh man, I need to, I need to work on my lower register or, oh man, I need to figure out intonation uh, in this certain section. So I actually started doing it for my own practice. Um, and I'm still, still doing these videos, trying to do them as much as I can having a two month old now, but it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, it also kind of gives, um, people who are looking for maybe trumpet ensemble music for their college for NTC. Cause I know that there's not recordings of all of these pieces. Uh, some of them are so new that there's not a recording of them or NTC. Um, it may be just played once for NTC and they haven't heard it being done by any other group. So it's also just kind of for um, my friends who are teachers, just kind of listening to see what pieces they would like. But really the reason why I started them, it was just a lot of fun. How long does it take to put together, I don't know, maybe a three or four minute piece? Six trumpets. Okay. So six trumpets, three minutes. So now, well, now that I have a system, it may take me 30 minutes, 40 minutes. The app has everything to do with that. Um, what What I'll basically do is do one take on every trumpet and then go back and the ones where I'm like, I think I should fix that. I'll do one more take and that's the final product. 
So and it's also, uh, yeah, it's, it's really good for sight reading as well. So if you haven't heard a piece or, or played a piece before or played that part in that piece, you, you got to learn it <laughs> or, and you just get, cause most of the pieces I do, I, I've may have played it before on one trumpet part, but I have never played all the other parts. So I basically sight read it the first time, look back and go, well, that was a problem. Look at it really quick and then do the second pass. And then, yeah, 30 minutes, 40 minutes. So how do you sync it all up? The app does that. Oh, the app does that. Mm-hmm. So you'll set your tempo marking in, in the metronome on the app. Uh, you'll have a pair of headphones in, uh, which if someone's listening and wants to know how to do that, do not use wireless headphones. Use wired because there is a delay. But basically you'll hit the record button. It'll give you a one, two, three, four with clicks. And then the metronome will be going the entire time. And because the metronome is going the entire time, it can sync up exactly with all the other videos. So all I have to do is hit a record button, play the trumpet, hit stop, and then go to the next video and record it. Wow, and the, the app does the rest. App does the rest. It, it just takes out all the dead space. Mm-hmm. I, I was kind of in disbelief that that app existed because I've always, I've seen musicians like uh, uh, Christopher Bill who's a trombonist on YouTube that does all these really cool multi-tracking videos. Um, and there's a couple other people that do it. Um, and I was like, man, I really wish I could do that, but I just don't have the time to learn how to use that soft, like, you know, the, the, the video editing software and the audio editing software. I just don't have time for that. So I was just curious online, typed in multi-tracking app and acapella came up. And I mean, now it's, it's starting to kind of catch on. A couple of my friends are starting to post videos of orchestral excerpts and things like that. Um, it's a fantastic app. It's, I mean, it, the audio quality may not be the best. Um, I've kind of found a workaround for that where I have, um, if anyone's interested, it's called a Shure MV88 Plus, which actually plugs directly into my phone. Um, and it's basically a mini condenser microphone. And so the audio goes through that. It's fantastic. Um, a little bit expensive, but awesome. Um, uh, and that kind of solves the audio issue because I mean, you're dealing with your phone microphone if you're just using your phone. Um, but it is for, for what you pay for it, which is nothing and how easy it is insanely easy. You're getting a really good product out of it. You're getting and it's a lot of fun. It's, it's so, it's so simple, so easy, um, free. It's a great, great. And the cool thing is, is, um, and I haven't even, I haven't been in, I haven't experimented with this yet, but you can collaborate with other people. So if say I had the app and you have the app, I can record something, a duet, say the first trumpet part to a duet with the metronome, I send you that file, you can play the second part to it, and then we basically play a duet across however many miles there is between us. So it's a, it's a way to collaborate with people um, that would be otherwise impossible if you didn't want to travel. All right, well man, Patrick, this has been a blast. Uh, PatrickOliverio.com, that's O-L-I-V-E-R-I-O.com, and um, read about being a trumpet-playing father of a two-month-old baby, meditation, stage fright, all kinds of good stuff on his blog. What can I say, Patrick? This has been fun. (laughs) 
Trumpet Dynamics is produced by Beaten Path Media, LLC. Special thanks to Mike Vax for allowing use of Serenade to a Bus Seat for the show's theme music. To stay in the loop with the growing community of trumpeters who enjoy this podcast, just type trumpetdynamics.com in your browser, and you're off to the races. My name is James Newcomb, and I'm your host. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.